Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Good morning. We are in the book of Luke, continuing. Hopefully, you've figured that out by now if you're <laughs> for the last how many months <laughs> with the short break. If you're, uh, if you're visiting with us, we are in the book of Luke. Uh, if you're wondering uh, what the next week's sermon is going to be, you can just read some verses beyond where we stopped today, and you can kind of read ahead and be thinking about that. And so we're continuing today in chapter 11, starting in verse... 37, Luke eleven thirty seven. it says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Thank you, Donnie. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Um, so honored to be able to celebrate you, and I agree with Donnie. Show Mandy some love. That was a great video, huh? Yeah, I really appreciate that. What is it that makes Jesus so controversial. I, I want to remind you of what Jesus has just said before the text that Donnie just read, verse 34 through 36 in Luke 11. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you, everybody say in you, in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Coming to know Jesus as most of us have, we might find it somewhat difficult to understand why it is that some people would hate him. Why would they hate Jesus? Why would people dismiss him? Why would people want to push back from the table and said, say, no, thank you to this guy that we've come to know and love so dearly, right? Here's the reason. There's probably a host of reasons for that, but one of the most um, prominent reasons I think people would be dismissive of Jesus or push back from him is this, is his continual focus on what's going on inside a person, not what's going on outside of a person. Humanity in general is hell-bent on two things, making the outside look as good as it possibly can 
while masking what's really going on on the inside. You can ride around Greenville County, and you've probably done this, a lot of you, and you find these incredibly beautiful homes, luxurious, massive estates with immaculate lawns that are so beautiful and so awe-inspiring from the curb that sometimes, don't you, you slow down as you drive by just to admire them. And you imagine, you fantasize what it would be like, perhaps, to have the kind of wealth that would afford you that kind of home along with it, the cars and the boats in the driveway. But have you ever stopped to consider how many of those homes that we drive by that are so beautiful that we admire might be full of marriages that are breaking down on the inside? Might be full of people who are being overcome by anxiety and depression despite their incredible wealth. Might be homes that on the inside are full of fear because maybe the business has taken a downturn and these people are so afraid that they're going to lose everything they've worked so hard to obtain. This is what we know. You know this. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'll just rehearse it with you. Appearances can be deceiving. What's presented on the outside is not always an accurate display of what's going on on the inside. This is what makes Jesus. One of the main reasons Jesus is so controversial is that he simply does not validate outward appearances and external behaviors the way we'd like him to. You'll remember Jesus' interchange with this guy the Bible calls the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. This this is a good guy, the Bible portrays him. Law-abiding, citizen, a decent fellow who simply wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And here's what Jesus tells him. Sell it all. And indiscriminately, that's the language he uses, indiscriminately give it away to the poor. Why? Is that what every rich person needs to do in, you know, with an immaculate home in order to be righteous? Of course not. What's Jesus doing? He's doing what he masterfully does all the time. He's putting his finger on a heart issue. He's drilling down, he's getting past the facades and the mask, and he's getting down to what's really going on on the inside of this guy. He loves his money so much, it's hindering him from being wholly given over to Jesus because Jesus' invitation was not only sell it all, but come and follow me. In our text today, Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner, and Pharisees, as you know, are among the religious elite. They are wealthy, they are part of the ruling class of Israel, and they are notable people. So let's pick it up, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so Jesus went and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see... (laughs) that he did not wash his hands before dinner. How many of you moms have gotten on to your kids about that? While Jesus was speaking, what's he been saying? We know this. If you've been with us the last few weeks, Jesus has been talking about the clash of kingdoms, that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world and pushing back 
the forces of darkness. He's been talking about the fact that there's really no neutral safe zone with Jesus. You're either for him or you're against him. He's been talking about an evil generation that seeks for a sign, that looks for Jesus to validate himself on their terms. And he's been talking about being careful lest the light in you be darkness. And in the midst of all of this, a Pharisee offers Jesus what seems to be, at first at least, a gracious invitation to come to dinner. This is the second time this has happened. You will remember back in chapter 7, another Pharisee named Simon asked Jesus over for dinner. You remember that? And Jesus comes in, and the dinner is interrupted by a sinful woman, presumably a prostitute. And in that instance, Jesus calls out Simon the Pharisee for violating typical social protocols. He says, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet or my hands. You didn't anoint me with oil. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But this woman did. The sinful woman, Jesus, points out her actions to expose the fact that though that Pharisee, Simon, looked good on the outside in every possible way, this woman, who looked anything but good on the outside, exposes that something's not right on the inside of this Pharisee, but something incredibly beautiful is going on inside this sinful woman. Now, in this story, Jesus is the one who violates the social protocols. He doesn't wash his hands before he eats. Now, that was not a law prescribed in the law of Moses. This was according to the tradition of the Pharisees that you must, you must wash your hands before you eat, and not just for hygiene purposes. But if you, if you didn't wash your hands before you eat, you were at risk of being spiritually unclean, eating with dirty hands. And this Pharisee is astonished. He's blown away. He's shocked. He's appalled that Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he eats. Here's Jesus' response, verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, this is going to make my wife's skin crawl. You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you're full of greed and wickedness. How many of you wash the outside of your cup and the outside of your dish and don't touch the inside? That's gross. Imagine if I had a, a cup, spotless on the outside, but on the inside it was full of mold and bacteria. It's gross. But think about this. The outside could be spotless, Cloroxed, clean. But the inside is what matters most, right? Jesus says you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but... Inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Verse 40, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean to you. One of the things we've been talking about this last couple of weeks is that there's really no room in Christianity for being a morally rich but spiritually neutral person. That's what what we talked about. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. The kingdom of God, there's no middle road to walk 
What about the person who is religiously devout? Religiously devout. Is it possible for a person to be full of religious activity, look good on the outside, but on the inside still be full of wickedness? Of course it is. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. It's why one of the most prominent criticisms of the Christian church is this, and you know this, that the church is full of hypocrites. I actually don't think that's true. You know, the, 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 the word hypocrite finds its root in a word that was used to define an actor or an actress, a pretender, someone who knowingly and intentionally pretends to be something that they're not. I don't think the church is full of actors. I think the church is full of sinners saved by grace. I think the church is full of people who have experienced real transformation on the inside, but on the outside, occasionally, sometimes, we don't behave in ways that are congruent with our new life in Christ. I would say the church has some hypocrites, Church has some people who are pretending, but Christianity is the only religion, it's the only religion where the prerequisite for life in Christ is that you admit you are fallen, sinful, and in desperate need of grace and the power of the Spirit to change you. Right? What do we just sing? All I have is Christ. Give me Jesus. Because I realize I've come to the end of myself and there's nothing else in this world that can save me except him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, you know this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The church is not full of hypocrites. Church is full of sinners saved by grace. Jesus is talking about something entirely different here. These Pharisees are deeply religious people. By that I mean their lives are chocked full of religious activity. They are the religious elite, full of tradition and religious activity. And Jesus acknowledges that by saying, you, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You look good on the outside. Not just in terms of basic morality, but in terms of doing all things that would make one appear righteous before God. But on the inside, you're like a cup that's clean at first glance, but on the inside is full of mold and bacteria. And Jesus calls them fools. In this instance, he doesn't call them hypocrites. He calls them fools. And perhaps calling someone a fool here is more offensive. A hypocrite knows what they're doing. They know they're pretending. They know they're masking. They know they're covering up something on the inside with outward appearances that look good. But a fool, a fool in this context, might be a person who on some level or another recognizes that God is holy and righteous and will not tolerate wickedness. 
A fool in this context might even go so far as to realize, I've got a sin problem and I need to do something about it. But what makes them a fool is they think they can fix it themselves. In one sense, they think they can fool God. They think they can do all these religious things and God's going to somehow ignore the inward motivations and longings of their heart. Jonathan Edwards talked about this. Famous theologian, probably the smartest man that's ever lived. Some people say he was even smarter than Einstein. He gave a sermon one time called A Divine and Supernatural Light, and in this sermon he talked about the fact that Christianity, listen to this carefully, Christianity, being a true Christian, is not the mere presence of conviction over sin and the misery of its results. That's not all Christianity is. Here's what he said, quote, The convictions that natural men may have of their sin and misery are not in and of themselves indications of this spiritual and divine light. Men in a natural condition may have convictions of the guilt that lies upon them and the anger of God and their danger of divine vengeance. Such convictions are not from light, excuse me, such convictions are from light or sensibleness of truth. Does that make sense? In other words, it doesn't take new birth or regeneration for someone to realize they've got a sin problem. And if there's a God who's holy and righteous, they're in trouble. And I might need to do something about that. I think this is what the Apostle Paul talked about, Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's talking about unsaved people. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Here's what's startling to me about the Pharisees. They are not void of knowledge of the one true God. They're also not void of awareness of the dangers of sin and the holiness of God, and the righteousness of God, and they are incredibly religious. They're experts in religion. They look good on the outside, but they're fools. They're fools because they think that they they can clean the outside of the cup and the dish, and it'll be enough, but it's not enough. And we know this. What's in here eventually is going to make itself known. Right? What's in here, the hiding won't last forever. It can't last forever. What's really going on in a person's soul, whether they are consciously or subconsciously trying to mask it, eventually will manifest itself and come to light. Jesus speaks to this. He gives these Pharisees, get the context, outwardly, the most religious people you can possibly imagine. Morally, toe in the line. All appearances point to these are holy men. These are people you look to for spiritual guidance and direction. And yet Jesus says on the inside, 
They're like a clean cup that's full of bacteria and mold. And he pronounces three woes over them. And we've talked about this before, what the word woe means. It doesn't mean cursed. It means warning, caution, be alert, wake up, okay? Three woes. Here's the first woe, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Just how meticulously religious are they? (laughs) Imagine a Pharisee plucking a piece of mint out of an herb garden. You know mint, right? Okay, you ever cooked with it? Plucking a piece of mint out of an herb garden and pinching off 10% of the leaf to tithe, right? So some of you, like, you, you question whether or not you should tithe on the gross or the net. I had somebody ask me that one time, like, what should I tithe off the gross or the net? And I said, well, what do you want to be blessed off of, the gross or the net? I'm just kidding. Don't know. <laughs> right? They pinch off 10% of an herb. But Jesus says, Here's where what's really going on inside you is making itself known. You are that meticulous with your tithing, but you neglect justice and mercy and the love of God. He doesn't ding them for tithing. This is probably the closest thing we get from Jesus to an endorsement of tithing and giving 10% of your income. He doesn't ding them for that. He just says, you should have done both. In fact, I think Jesus would argue one's more ultimate than the other. That if flowing from the inside of you is a longing and a desire that's comparable to the heart of God in terms of justice, love, and mercy, that'll spill over into tithing. Jesus doesn't condemn them, but he says there's something going on on the inside of you that you're masking with this meticulous religious activity. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. So here's what's in contrast here. Loving one another versus being like Cain. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, who was of the evil one, that's startling, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder Abel, listen to John's reason, because his own deeds were evil. Did you catch that? He doesn't say Cain murdered Abel because Abel did something to tick him off. Abel stole his wife. Abel stole his goat. That still would have been bad, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But he says, Cain killed Abel because his own deeds were evil. What were Cain's deeds? He offered a sacrifice to God. And it wasn't accepted. It was rejected. He offered a sacrifice to God, and it wasn't accepted. It was rejected. And Abel's sacrifice was accepted. And the Bible's not explicit about why. But I think the the right conclusion would be, is there was something going on on the inside of Cain 
that wasn't reflecting genuine worship and obedience. He was trying to check the box. And God gave him every opportunity to repent, and he didn't. And instead, he killed his brother because he was jealous. We must not, listen, we must not confuse meticulous religious activity with genuine worship. The difference between Cain and Abel was worship. The difference between the Pharisees and that sinful prostitute that broke up the dinner party in chapter 7 was worship. That's woe number one. Here's woe number two. Verse 43, But woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings and in the marketplaces. The Pharisees were revered. They come walking down the street, people would get out of their way. People would acknowledge them and offer respect, perhaps even bow. They got the best seats. They got the preferential treatment. These people, people were in awe of them. Why? Because they're so religious. A wise man once said to me, Bradley, be very careful with affirmation. Be very careful with affirmation. He said that to me because at the time, and this was about 12 years ago, I got invited to serve on an executive council of the denomination that I grew up in for a regional office. And this denomination is fraught with dysfunction and a lot of unhealthy things. And just it, 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 that's a long story in and of itself. And I was questioning whether or not I, I should accept, but I was drawn to accept. Why? Because they were affirming me, Bradley, we need you. And we're going to pay you. And this wise mentor in my life at the time, he said, be careful with affirmation. You know what the startling reality is? The sinful world is not opposed to religious piety. They might even affirm it. You, you, you might even not have to struggle all that hard to find an atheist who will give due respect to the likes of Mother Teresa right alongside the Dalai Lama. The, the, the non-religious, non ungodly world is not opposed to religious piety. Do you know why? Because religious piety in and of itself still leaves room for self-rule, which is our problem from the get-go, right? What was Satan's temptation in the garden? You can be like God. Pharisees were revered for their piety in Israel. Best seats, the most Warm greetings. Wherever they go, they receive affirmation. It's similar to the warning that Jesus gave back in chapter 6 when he said this, verse 26, But woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the what? False prophets. Jesus says, people revere you. But woe to you, because you're soaking that up, and there's still wickedness on the inside of you. Here's the third woe, verse 44 of Luke chapter 11. But woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Jews were very careful to mark their graves. They whitewashed grave markers. And they made sure that 
graves and grave markers were clearly visible because if a Jew unknowingly touched a grave marker or walked over an unmarked grave, they were considered unclean. What's Jesus saying to these Pharisees, these devoutly religious people who are clean on the outside, wicked on the inside? He's saying, you're fools if you think that that's going to cut it. And you're leading people into your foolishness. People are following you. You're people of influence. You're leading people to be steeped in religious activity when the real issue, the inward heart issue, the matters of the heart, that that's what really needs to be deal with, dealt with is being largely ignored. People are following you in your foolishness. Now, I feel like I need to say something here that I hope doesn't offend, at least doesn't offend people in the wrong way. I know that some of you come from a Catholic background and that you may be, to some degree or another, have left that upbringing or that, that past and are now part of a Protestant church like Rez. But let me say this because I, I, I just feel like it needs to be said right here. The Roman Catholic Church is not entirely safe. In fact, I might just say it's not safe, and here's why. I do think Catholics can be saved because they've got the right God. Hear me, Catholics have the right God. Unlike Mormons, unlike Muslims, unlike Hindus, unlike Buddhists, Catholics have the right God, so they can be saved. But it's really, really hard for a Catholic to be saved. Because the Catholic Church puts all manner of doctrinal stumbling blocks in front of those who are a part of the church. Okay, Doctrinal stumbling blocks that perhaps for the most part, tend towards producing religious piety without an emphasis on the inward transformation that's necessary. Religious piety is fine, but void of an inward transformation so that all of those religious activities, whatever they might be, as long as they're biblical, are not, if they're not flowing from a heart of worship that flows from this inward heart transformation that God accomplishes by his grace and by his spirit, all we've got is another kind of pharisaical situation. You with me? Doctrines like the tradition, tradition being equal with scripture, baptismal regeneration, being saved through baptism, penance, taking the Lord's Supper as a means of forgiveness, all of these tend people towards religious piety void of radical inward transformation. I'll Never forget, Mary and I had uh, some neighbors in a neighborhood we lived in about 10, 11, 12 years ago. And we became good friends with these neighbors. They were Catholic. We loved these people, still love these people. And their son had come of age, and it was time for him to take his first communion. And they, what, what, they had not been to confession in a long time for some past stuff that they didn't want to face the priest about. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Good people just had a past, and in order for their son to take First Communion, they had to catch up on confession. So they went to confession this one particular day, and we were standing out in the cul-de-sac talking to the wife, and the husband pulls up, having come from confession, and these were, this was the question she asked him, what did you get? 
And some of you know what, it, what, what she was talking about. You got a few Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers, and, and, and you had to, had to do this in order to... Do you see what I mean? And the Catholic Church is not the only church that's guilty of this. The Protestant Church has its own way of trying to make people feel good based on their religious activity. But the point is, apart from the inward work of the Spirit, all that religious activity is just a facade. So be careful. What's the cure for all of this? What's the antidote for a life that's clean on the outside but filthy on the inside? How does a person cross over from being self-righteous to truly partaking in the righteousness of Christ? I think Jesus summed it up so well in the very first beatitude that he gave on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 3. Here's what he said. Let's, let's read it together. Is it on the screen? Let's read it together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. This is the way I would say it. It's the bankruptcy of soul. Here's what we just sang. In the song, All I Have is Christ. Listen to these words. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all that my, all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast. My only boast is you. That's poor in spirit. That's the bankruptcy of soul. And I'm getting a little bit ahead in Luke's gospel, but when we get to chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell this parable, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus said, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and another a tax collector. We know the tax collectors, right? These are, these, are, these are Jewish traitors, considered the worst of all sinners. The Pharisee, the religious elite, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. I pitch off a 10% of a mint leaf. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the difference. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Isn't that amazing? How is it that Jesus could look at prostitutes and tax collectors at one point and point to the Pharisees and says, they're getting in the kingdom of heaven ahead of you? This is why. For everyone who exalts himself, this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus did not come to simply teach moral improvement. 
came to teach bankruptcy of soul, the emptying of self in order that we might be filled with him. Now, we've kind of ended our last few teachings by thinking about our loved ones who are not wholly given over to this Jesus. Just praying and thinking about that as we continue to pray and think about them. I think we need to pray something deeper than, Lord, get them back in church. I think we need to pray something deeper than, Lord, I pray they would stop thinking that way and think this way or stop behaving that way and start behaving this way. We need to pray something deeper than that. What do we need to pray? That they'll be bankrupt in their soul. Because the issue, the critical issue, critical issue, gee, one of the scariest verses in the Bible says, Jesus said, talked about people in eternity, coming to him and saying, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these things. And he looks at him and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What's the difference? The difference is worship. The difference is humble, bankrupt souls bowing their knee to Jesus and saying, all I have is Christ. All I have is you. You are my greatest treasure. And how many of you understand? Because we've been there, right? We are there. When that's right, when, when the inward transformation takes place, we may not be perfect on the outside, but all of that outside stuff flows from the inside that's been transformed by the power of the Spirit and the work of God's grace. If the emptying of ourselves happens so that we might be filled with him, if that happens in a person, the outside will follow suit. And that's what makes Jesus so controversial. So in our praying, you realize I'm not, I'm not trying to come down on any of us. I just want us to think well about what God has done in us so that we also think well about what he's doing in others and how he might use us to participate with him in the lives of other people. But perhaps there are some of you in here that you've just got the facade on, you've got the mask on, you're trying to check religious boxes so that God will be happy with you and not mad at you. And here's what I can tell you. Jesus is not interested. He's not going to validate external behaviors and outward appearances like you would like him to. He's going to put his finger on the heart issue. And ultimately, every heart issue comes down to this. Are you singing the song from the depths of your soul, all I have is Christ? Jesus would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not you keep my commandments, you'll love me and I'll love you. If you love me, you'll keep my Commandments. Are you like the Pharisee in that parable? Or are you like the tax collector who says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then sing the song, all I have is Christ. 
That's how we need, that's how we need to be as people, as the church. And that's how we need to pray for our loved ones who don't know the Lord. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, I ask that, uh, sounds cliche, but that we take this to heart um, for ourselves and our loved ones. May we not be concerned about the outward appearances only, but may we be people who, like the tax collector, we fall to our knees and say, oh, Lord, merciful to me, a sinner saved by grace. And as we pray for those we know and love, we pray not only that their behavior would change, that's not the the first issue. The first issue is that they bow their knee and worship to you. Lord, protect us. Lord, you, you warned your disciples on more than one occasion, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So may we be warned, and may we also warn others that the Christian life, it's not a life full of external religious activity, void of inward transformation. Do that work in us that must be done on the inside. That's our prayer. And do that work in those we know and love that don't know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.